Jesus does not merely want to be a guest in your home. He wants to now be the owner of your home. When you invite him in, he now is the one who owns the house and you are living in his house. And sometimes we're reluctant because we're afraid God's gonna mess everything up and ruin our lives. No, he's gonna make it better. our firm foundation together we'll sing
Let's shout it out. know what comes to your mind when you hear the word home. But for many years of my life, for the first 17 years effectively, I didn't really have a place I would call home. We lived in houses. We lived in apartments. We lived uh, with other people because I came from a broken home. How many of you came from a broken home? So you know what I'm talking about. I've told you before, my mother was married and divorced seven times and she was always going from husband to husband. So I moved from California to New Jersey. Then I moved from New Jersey to Hawaii and then from Hawaii back to California again. And my mom was always out every night so I never knew what it was like to have a family meal. I just went out and got my own food and there used to be a restaurant that I would go to called the Snack Shop. And later it became Coco's. Remember Coco's? There's not many Cocos around anymore. So I went to the snack shop, later to become Cocos, and I always ordered the same thing, hamburger, vanilla malt, french fries. So I would tell my friends, that's what I eat every night for dinner. They would say, man, you are living the good life. We wish we were living your life. We have to go home and sit at the table with mom and dad and eat horrible vegetables and you're eating a hamburger, french fries, and a vanilla malt. But you know what? I wanted their life. <clears throat> so I would sometimes go over to friends' house, houses and have dinner with them. I didn't even like the food they ate. But I wanted to be in a family setting. It was so alien to me. One Christmas memory that stays with me, it was Christmas morning. We had one of those artificial trees that was white. And there was that little light that slowly turned, you know, and blue lens, red lens, you know, on the tree with some funky little song playing. And <clears throat> my mother was passed out from a night of drinking. The house smelled of stale smoke and alcohol. And as I sat there looking at that tree and looking at my mom, I thought, it's gotta get better than this. And it did get better than that when I met Kathy Martin, later to become Kathy Laurie, and we got married, and that was the first time I knew what a home was. And we didn't have a fancy home. Uh, we had a funky little house we lived in, and uh, we had threadbare furniture, some of which came from the Salvation Army. We had two sons, and when I was with Kathy and with my boys, we were home. That was home for us. And you know, I've been in a lot of homes over the years. I've been in the homes of very, very wealthy people. You would call them palatial estates, magnificent. And I've been in some very humble homes as well. I'm a chaplain with the police department and I was called to a luxury home of a woman who had committed suicide. And as I walked into her home, <clears throat> there were her children who were devastated, needless to say. It was a perfectly decorated home, ocean view, everything a person could want in life. The husband was out that afternoon sailing his yacht 
and the wife was so despondent she sat behind the wheel of her car and turned the engine on and committed suicide in her garage. She left notes for every member of her family and I thought what a sad situation that was. It was a house but it was not a home. And then I thought of something that happened years ago when I was in Ethiopia uh, doing a pastor's conference and the pastor invited us to his house. He had dirt floors. Uh, he didn't really have windows. It was open to the elements and they had literally had a fire burning inside of the home which was filled with smoke. He was making us a meal and then he asked me if I would like some milk. And I said yes, but I didn't know that meant he was gonna literally milk his cow right there, <clears throat> which he did. And he put it in a glass and I'm gonna be honest with you, I was not excited about drinking that milk because <laughs> it was kind of room temperature and uh, <clears throat> And I, I remembered Mark 16 that says you can drink of any deadly poison and it will not harm you. I just said, Lord, don't let me die <laughs> because I'm gonna take one for the team <laughs> because I'm not gonna offend this gentleman who's offering me uh, such a precious gift. And I drank the milk and I was fine. But that was a home. So I've been in houses that are palatial that are not a home. And I've been in structures that you would barely even call a house that have the warmth of a home. You know, when Jesus walked this earth, you could technically say he was homeless. Jesus said birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But in heaven, he had the greatest of all homes. In John 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. <clears throat> a better translation would be, in my Father's house are many rooms. My Father's house suggests something big, like an estate, spaciousness, but rooms suggest coziness, a private space. Bringing me to my first point in this message, Jesus left his home in heaven so you could have a home in heaven. Jesus left his home in heaven so you could have a home in heaven. You know, we've romanticized the Christmas story. We see what we call the holy family, Mary and Joseph with the newborn Jesus. They each have a halo. Jesus has a little baby-sized halo. The animals are looking on in reverence and it's bathed in blue light. It's a beautiful scene. But that's not the way it was. God sent his son from the glory of heaven to be born in the most unsanitary conditions imaginable. God went from the glory of the throne to what is a feeding trough in a cave. We call it a manger. It was a barn where animals were. Straw was on the ground. The smell of urine would have been in the air. It was cold. It was damp. It was an unwelcoming place. And that to me does not diminish the Christmas story. In fact, it enhances the Christmas story to think of all that God left to come to us. What an amazing sacrifice it was. But he left his heavenly home so we could have a heavenly home. Point number two, Jesus left his home in heaven to make a home in our heart. Jesus left his home in heaven to make a home in our heart. Listen to this. He was born so we could be born again. 
He was born so we could be born again. Or as C.S. Lewis put it, the Son of God became a man that men might become sons of God. And here's the thing, when a person becomes a Christian, Jesus Christ literally takes residence in their heart. Now some would say, well no, that's not biblical and it's really not correct to say to someone that they should ask Christ into their life or that they should receive Christ into their life. Well actually I would beg to differ because the Bible actually does teach that Christ comes and lives in the human heart. I heard the story of a mother who was telling her little girl that Jesus lived in her heart. So the little girl put her ear to her mom's chest and she said, I'm listening to Jesus in your heart. And the mother said, really? Well, what are you hearing? She says, mom, I think right now he's making coffee. So I don't, maybe the mother had indigestion, I don't know. But the fact is, is when a person believes in Jesus, he really does come and live inside of you. It's accurate, biblically, to say that. Colossians 1.27 says, this is the secret, Christ lives in you. And then over in John 1.12, for as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. You receive Christ. So it is accurate to say one must receive Christ. It is accurate to say Christ lives in one's life. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we, speaking of the Father and the Son, we will come and make our home with him. So when you become a Christian, Christ literally comes and makes his home with you. And of course, the off-quoted verse is where Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. So when a person becomes a Christian, Christ literally takes residence in their life. In my book, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, I talk about Johnny's hard scrabble beginnings to his initial ascent up to the point where he was having all kinds of troubles ranging from being arrested to wrecking cars to just making a mess of all the success that he was experiencing. And here's the big story that God can redeem a life. No matter how you're living your life out right now, and maybe you've made some mistakes, and you've done some things that you're ashamed of, this book shows that God gives second chances. This is a story of redemption. If God can redeem a person like Johnny Cash, certainly he can redeem a person like you. Well, let me ask two questions. How many of you have asked Christ to come into your life? Raise up your hand. Okay, that's pretty much everyone. Now let me ask you another question. I don't want you to raise your hand. Do you think Jesus is at home in your heart? Let me explain what I mean by that. Look at Colossians 3, verse 17, reading down to verse 18. This, by the way, is the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the believers living in Ephesus. Look at verse 17. He's saying, my prayer is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and that you might, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now here's a question. Why would Paul pray that Christ would dwell in the hearts of people who had already put their faith 
in Christ. Because after all, as we pointed out, does he not already dwell in the heart of every man and woman who have received him? The answer is yes. But we need to understand what the word dwell means. It's a compound word which basically means to live in a house. But when you add a prefix, meaning down, it comes to mean that Christ may settle down and be at home in your life. That Christ may settle down and be at home in your life. Let's just say that Jesus literally was standing at your door when you got home from church knocking. And you invited him in. And let's say for the sake of an illustration, Christ himself walked into your front room. There you are standing next to Jesus Christ. And then he walks into your family room. Are there things you would want to put away that he, so he would not see them? Would you still feel comfortable watching that show on Netflix you were just watching if Jesus suddenly walked into the room? Or Jesus sat down next to you as you're out there surfing the net and looking at your favorite sites? Would there any, be anything you'd be embarrassed if he were to see it? See, that's what this idea is here in this verse, is that Christ would settle down and be at home in your life. You know, we have an expression we'll use, mi casa su casa. Mi casa su casa, which is Spanish for my house is your house. And when you become a Christian, that literally becomes true. Jesus does not merely want to be a guest in your home. He wants to now be the owner of your home. When you invite him in, he now is the one who owns the house and you are living in his house. And sometimes we're reluctant because we're afraid God's gonna mess everything up and ruin our lives. No, he's gonna make it better. There's a television show on the Food Channel called Restaurant Impossible. Have you ever seen that show? Uh, the, the host is Robert Irvine. He's a restaurateur and uh, he knows how to fix restaurants that are failing. So people write in and saying, come help our restaurant. And so he'll show up and he'll try their food and it's sometimes disgusting and, and they're not meeting health standards and, and they have horrible customer service and there's all kinds of things going on. So he'll basically say, look, I'm gonna change this place. And, and he'll sometimes demolish the restaurant and, and do a lot of construction and change. And then he invites the people back for the big reveal. And they're always so excited because that mess they couldn't fix is transformed because he comes in and he knows what he's doing. That's what happens when Christ settles down in your life. He might do a little demolishing. He might remove a few things, but he re what he replaces them with will be so much better, you won't miss it. Just wait for the big reveal and let the Lord have his way in your life that Christ may settle down and be at home in your heart. So number one, Jesus left his home in heaven so you could have a home in heaven. Number two, Jesus left his home in heaven to make a home in your heart. And now my third and last point, when Jesus is at home in your heart, you will be at home in the church. When Jesus is at home in your heart, you will be at home in the church. You know, it's interesting in the Bible, the words home and church and or temple or synagogue or gathering are interchangeable words. Remember David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever in Psalm 23, or literally, I have a home in the house of the Lord forever. And we read these words often about it being like a home. Jesus, when he was in the temple speaking with the elders there, said to Mary and Joseph, who had lost sight of him, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? This is the house of the Lord. 
church's home for the follower of Jesus Christ and you're surrounded by the family of God. There are things that we do when we gather together with family and one of those things is usually eat together, right? You have meals and we do that at church. We have meals together, spiritual meals. We feast on the word of God. Job 23, 12 says, I've treasured his words more than my daily food. The early church feasted on the word of God. Acts 2.37 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and of prayer. So we feast on God's word together and healthy families spend time together. There's a word that is used in the New Testament that describes that special bond Christians have. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's not an easy word to translate. It's sometimes translated fellowship, partnership, communion, and it even implies serving together. But that's what happens. We gather together as believers. So church isn't just sitting in a pew or sitting in a seat and listening to a message and then getting out as quickly as possible, hopefully to beat the traffic. A church is more than that. Church is gathering to hear God's word, yes, but afterwards it's talking with one another, not mere socializing, but having that koinonia, having that fellowship. And listen to this, God really likes it when we do that together. He loves it when we speak of his name because we read over in Malachi 3.16, those that feared the Lord spoke to each other and the Lord listened and heard them. See, when we speak of the Lord, he bends down and listens. That's what the phrase means. It means to prick the ear or to pay careful attention to something. So if you've ever been in a room and people are just talking, the din of noise, and someone uses your name, I'll say, Greg Laurie. Why do I hear that? I wasn't listening for that, but I hear it because it's my name. And the Lord hears us speaking and he hears his name spoken of and he tunes in and he bends down and he listens and he loves it when we talk about him together. Another thing that we do together as followers of Jesus Christ is we worship together. And I bring this up because some people would say, well, you know what, I don't need to go to church. I don't really like to be around Christians that much. How can you say you love God who you can't see when you don't love his people who you can't see? You know, you want to get on my bad side, insult my wife. You and me have a problem. You want to get on God's bad side, insult his bride. He loves his bride. He loves the church. He loves the family of God. And he wants us all to be a part of his family. Because if Jesus is at home in your heart, you will be at home in the church. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died in a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I, I think so, I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, 
Do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you at no charge something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Hey, Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are 9 in the morning and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning. In my book, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, I talk about Johnny's hard scrabble beginnings to his initial ascent up to the point where he was having all kinds of troubles, ranging from being arrested to wrecking cars to just making a mess of all the success that he was experiencing. But here's the big story that God can redeem a life. No matter how you're living your life out right now, and maybe you've made some mistakes, and you've done some things that you're ashamed of, this book shows that God gives second chances. This is a story of redemption. If God can redeem a person like Johnny Cash, certainly he can redeem a person like you.